Welcome to Moving the Rock. Whether sales is all you do or only part of what you do, the strategies and tactics of success can often feel split between two realities. You can become someone you're not to earn the recognition and praise of people you don't respect, or you can try to figure it out on your own, knowing you'll underperform your potential. We're here to offer a third way. The idea that you can't have success without compromise is just wrong. You don't have to compromise to win in the long term. You can play the game in such a way that you win in the short term and the long term. Through our hard lessons learned, we can shift your way of thinking and create a better way. I'm Chris, founder of SightShift. And I'm James, founder of Florist Group. If you're tired of the status quo, we're here to help you move the rock on your career, your business, and your life. Welcome. Read like hundreds of pages of clinical trials on trauma and started learning about the epigenetics and the switches. And, you know, it was just crazy to read it and to also look at my wife and be like, you, you were traumatized. <laughs> you act like this, <laughs> yeah. you know, which she appreciated. <laughs> no, she didn't resent. It was good. Epigenetics, uh, Chris. Um, so you kicked off our podcast with a big word. Um, let's dig in, man. We, we will ignore how you horrified your wife, but I want to hear more about <laughs> epigenetics. And for our listeners, we have a special guest. You're not used to hearing uh, guests in the show, but we have a, a wonderful guest who regale, has been regaling us with the science um, behind stress and the physical natures of stress. We have here a uh, pre-med uh, neuroscientist uh, from Kent State who's also doing research on the brain. Welcome, Sophia. Thank you for having me. Outstanding. So, Chris, talk more about epigenetics and uh, why the hell our listeners should care about this uh, this concept. Yeah, and I'm, you know, I'll defer also to Sophia for the expertise on the specific uh, genetic switches that are getting turned on because my knowledge is at a at a just a higher principled level. But really, what kicked this off for me about 12 years ago, there's a statement that is pretty wild in uh, what's called the Old Testament. And it says this, I will visit the sins of your father on the following six generations. And if you try to understand this statement and try to understand it religiously, I think you're going to get into some weird places. If you understand it, how all these ancient stories developed, observational pattern recognition, you'll get your mind blown. Because what they were able to see is negative actions transmitted up to six generations, which is what they found, right, Sophia, in the research, that these switches get turned on. And so how is it that, you know, there's somebody I know that's afraid to drive on the interstate and her grandmother had a horrible car accident right and that story gets passed down and then your the stress response your brain wires around your most powerful experiences even if they weren't yours but they were the people in your genetic tree so at a high level it's just crazy and so fascinating to hear about the different that you guys are doing the research sophia to figure out the different exact gene sequencing that's getting turned on there. It's amazing. So how does that work, Sophia? Talk, talk to us about that. 
Um, how does what work? So there's a lot there that he yeah. covered. Well, so to, to walk us through, um, you know, there's this there's the storytelling about six generations, but what's the science mm -hmm. behind the story? How does how does the body actually process stimuli uh, stressors, uh, and actually how is that then passed on from generation to generation? So essentially we all have the same DNA. Uh, there's this thing called the genome, which basically uh, is just all of our DNA. It, it's, it's, it encompasses the DNA of every, every living thing. Essentially We're, we all have the same DNA. It's all made up of the same nucleotides, you know, a, um, the, um, yeah, it's all, it's all the same. Um, but epigenetics, it's actually, it call, it's, it uh, stands for above the genome. And essentially, our DNA has all these genes in it. So if you take sections, you know, of your DNA, those are your individual genes. Um, and what happens is that when you, in a, in a body, your DNA is uh, constantly being read by transcription factors, which then lock onto a gene you know, uh, turn it into mRNA, and then uh, that gets turned into a protein, which then, you know, goes all over your body and does different things. Um, and those transcription factors, you know, bind to your DNA. But what happens is um, through stress, um, there are, you know, proteins that can, um, you know, place these things called methyl groups. Um, they can place like certain chemicals on your DNA that then um, affect transcription factors ability to bind to your DNA and then make, you know, proteins um, and send signals all over your body. So it affects what genes are able to be expressed, what are not able to be expressed. And that can then affect um, that right there is what is inherited. Your DNA is not necessarily changing. Um, it's what genes in your DNA are allowed to be expressed. Um, and then that can affect your children and what genes are expressed in them or their sensitivity to certain things. Um, and it, it, it continues, uh, to be passed on. That's, that's what gets heritage is, um, the gene expression essentially. So, so we are, we are the, the degree to which we improve or diminish our health um, will influence, um, the degree to which our offspring is, has the ability to, um, lead a healthy, uh, or unhealthy life. It's, it just blows my mind that chemically we can explain this. Uh, Chris, is that, is that the story you were telling earlier? Yeah. I mean, there was a study done in, uh, World War II with some, a, a group of women who would have heard every time the siren went off for bombing, you know, bombings that were going to occur. And they actually found in the group of women that they studied, uh, that there was a high number of the boys that were born were gay. And, and this is the hard part of this research because the world wants to culture wants to continue to argue, argue between nature and nurture when we are this weird combination of both. But what was happening in the womb where every time that siren goes off, this greater release of a certain hormone in the womb 
is is then shaping genetically what's happening when that person is born. And so we have the the the, the cultural landmines here are all over the place. Because we want to believe in a, in a radical reality that everything is wide open to choice and nothing is already determined. And then we also want to believe that it's all determined, when in reality, it's this very entangled mix of both. What would you add to that, Sophia? It's really interesting. Um, yeah, I think you're correct. I was actually thinking about that nature versus nurture debate. Um, it's also similar to when, you know, someone's diagnosed with a mental health issue and they're like, okay, was I born with this? Is it genetic or is it just me? Am I just messed up somehow? Um, and that's, that's the interesting thing is like some of, some of the time you can't help it. And I think this research has been really eye-opening for me and this learning process has been eye-opening for me in terms of my struggles because it's like, okay, now I understand that I can't necessarily help everything because genetically I am more sensitive to certain things. I'm, I was predisposed before, you know, I even, you know, you, you can't help what you were given when you were born. Um, and I think it's important for people to understand that because, um, because it can help them move forward and, you know, make better decisions for themselves. And, and that's where the free will comes in, you know, or you can actually make decisions about what to do with it. <laughs> um, once you figure out, you know, kind of, right your starting point as a human being based on what was donated to you <laughs> when your parents decided to have children. So, yeah. And, and so I, so for those listeners who are with us now, now about nine or 10 minutes into the podcast, you may be asking, so why the hell are we talking about this? And especially in the context of moving the rock um, stress for me has always been an interesting topic because in the, in the, in the, profession of selling stress oftentimes is inherent in what we do whether it's our leadership who leverage carrot stick modalities to motivate us both of which are designed to create stress um, and both are designed to kind of uh, make the folks around us feel like they can trust that we're going to do our work and our do our job i mean how many times have you walked through the office and when you see people who are chilled and relaxed when there's a deadline, you get nervous because no one's frantically working toward that deadline, right? So we are oftentimes wired to respond better to stress or the, visi the visible signs of stress to make us feel like we're working hard enough or we're trying hard enough or whatever. What, what's, what we've known, Chris, uh, you know, in, through the coaching we've done and the work we've done de developing functional leaders and functional teams is that stress in any in any form to any degree is going to be debilitating and now another thing to think about is the physiological impact that stress can have on you and future generations and the social implications here are just tremendous um, i feel like we just owe it to our listeners to give them another reason to think about how how they create stress for themselves and how they deal with situations that could present uh, stress to them and cause them to have the same uh, kinds of reactions that we're talking about here. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think you have to acknowledge uh, 
you know, it's, there's just things that aren't fair. I can look at our kids in the ways that one of them doesn't produce serotonin the same, you know, me and my wife, I have a proclivity to, uh, have the serotonin I need. And so it works to my advantage. You can get genetic testing done and find out now people that are in prison, you know, certain gene sequences that got turned on and off. How guilty are they? Or the one that has the tumor that they found out when they took it out, you know, uh, it's, it's a complicated, messy thing, but I think what helps me the most is understanding that actually the way that I process it, stress is neutral. It becomes you stress or de-stress depending on how we process it. Now, there's moving from non-functioning to functioning, um, and we could, you know, break it down that way and say there has to be wise, gentle conversations on what it looks like to accept the reality you have and improve it some. But for a lot of sales leaders moving from functioning to thriving, probably the most popular resource out there is The Upside of Stress, a book that was written. She did a TED Talk on this that like you actually can get better performance with some kind of stress, certain kinds of stress. It's just all how you process it. You know, frantically running around, that's bad for your brain, bad for everybody, bad for your cortisol. Being calm, that's a that's an improvement. That's the non-functioning to functioning. But functioning to thriving means I'm excited by the chance. Give me the ball. I want to, you know, whatever. Um, so I think that distinguishing piece is huge because on the journey of stress, beginners tend to think all stress is bad. Pros want some pressure in regards to sales, but masters know I need a calm and activated mind at the same time. Right. You talk about this idea of relaxing into the challenge in front of you. So, Sophia, can you talk about talk about that? So this idea of stress, not all stress is bad. What is what is the reaction that causes the cortisol that causes the adrenaline rush, that causes the kind of changes chemically that produce the, the, the damage for us or that create the damage for us? Well, um, so stress uh, is something that's processed by your pituitary gland in your brain. Um, and essentially what happens is, or actually... Well, yeah, it's your hypothalamus, but specifically uh, the pituitary gland, which is right next to your hypothalamus, I believe. And um, essentially what happens is that releases a bunch of, you know, signals, like um, is a large word. Give it to us. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So your pituitary gland releases uh, adrenocorticoid tropic hormone or ACTH, um, which then goes to your adrenal glands, which are right above your kidneys. Um, and it then releases, um, cortisol, um, which, uh, triggers the fight or flight response in your brain. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, this is, this was developed in our bodies because we needed it to survive. You know, we still do. This allows us to have, you know, 
it, it triggers your liver to then store excess sugar because it knows you're going to need to be active for a long amount of time because it's like, okay, you're obviously trying to get away from a dangerous situation. So I'm going to store all this stuff, right. you know, so that you can be alive for a long time. Um, the, the part that gets rough is that, you know, when cortisol is released for a long time, it affects your immune system. Um, and long periods of stress can make you more susceptible to getting sick and just being really tired and fatigued. And so it's just, it's just not good over long extended periods of time. Um, I, I don't really think it's a bad when your flight or flight response is, is, is stimulated. Like, you know, Chris said, it can sometimes be a good thing. Um, it's, it's just about how you're processing it, I guess, or, or how you're using it. Um, but yeah, that's that's where it can turn into um, a, a health issue, as when cortisol is in your body for a long time. Because what should happen is this lasts for a short period of time, and then your body returns to homeostasis. Um, and you know there are hormones that help you return back to normal. But when um, you can't, it that's when it becomes an issue. So it sounds like Chris. Uh, when thank you, Sophia. When, it sounds like. Chris, what we're talking about here is um, homeostasis, right? What is your level of equilibrium that you operate at on a regular basis all day? Yeah. You know, where do you operate? Are you in that calm, relaxed state? And are you uh, practicing, right, a level of mindfulness around uh, how you're responding to situations and how that's affecting your body? And and are you searching for that level of mastery in terms of being able to, able to operate at a level of uh, equilibrium or homeostasis that's healthy and functional? Um, or are you constantly imagining and responding and reacting to the worst of what you imagine might be happening around you or, or constantly putting yourself in situations where you're uh, responding in a very unhealthy way? Um, it sounds like really that's what we're talking about is just, just building that level of functionality that allows us to be, you know, in that relaxed state most of the time. Well, I, I think, uh, a different way that I would approach it would be relaxed state when we need it relaxed and activated when we need it. So it's like the pro mm -hmm. is getting the mindfulness. They're learning to remove themselves from the circumstance to not let their emotion ride the circumstance so that they're not getting the adrenal fatigue. They're not getting the oxidative stress. All the biomarkers, you know, aren't showing the impact of how this stress is affecting them. But the master knows how to harness the adrenaline as they need it. So, you know, I went through my 20s addicted to adrenaline, didn't know it, went through a year and a half of no winning, no sales meeting, no closing a deal. It was just a desert of complete deconstruction. I closed a deal after a year and a half, shot of cash is hitting the bank. And Sophia, Jimmy, I'm driving home <laughs> in a truck that I borrowed from my neighbor and I felt my body like shaking with adrenaline. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is what it feels like. I haven't had adrenaline in a year and a half. And the next thought that hit me was, I'm going to be a really shitty dad when I get home because I'm so hyped up. I'm going to roll over whatever their emotional state is with mine. So then I was able to have the adrenaline with awareness. And that's the thing. A lot of people are using in a performance 
state, because I know we're talking a lot to sales leaders, they're using adrenaline to get activated. The problem is they end up serving it. They need it to keep engaged rather than breaking through to that next level where they use adrenaline to serve them. We do this in public speaking training. You need the butterflies. You need that shot of adrenaline to be at your best on a stage. You just need them to fly in formation. So you are using the adrenaline. It's not using you. Now, that's a completely different conversation than the one you would have with somebody who's in a state of adrenal fatigue, who can't, you know, and, and we see highly high impact leaders crash and burn from everything you were describing, Sophia, that gland just gets hit too many times. And then they're like, Chris, why did I lay in the bed and cry for three days and I couldn't move? Because your body was like, you've accumulated so much stress and you haven't processed it, you know, or true stories, people getting on a ride at Disney World with their kid, the panic attack sets in, you know, they think it's a heart attack, but it's not. (laughs) I love it. So, you know, what you're talking about to me uh, in the context of, you know, just performing, right? Speaking, selling, leading, whatever it is. We talk a lot um, about emotional control, you know, so do we allow ourselves to be put in a situation where we are performing, but we focus on the outcome so much that we, you know, that we get so hyped up and psyched up that hyped up and psyched out that we, you know, can't control our emotions. So we're so focused on what people think of us. We lose sight of what we should be there in the first place, doing in the first place. Uh, so emotional control, right, allows us to think clearly. And again, this sounds like another side effect of allowing stress to impact us is that we just lose the ability to be thoughtful, think clearly, um, operate at our most effective. Yes, yes. Can I, I have a question, Sophia, if I could, I'd be curious to hear about your research. Where has the research, if it has, informed the way that you process something or are mindful of the impact of the stress or get to a better mindset? Just curious if, if any of that's happened. Um, it's definitely interesting knowing exactly what's happening in your body when you feel it. Um, it actually also, in, it helps me feel like, okay, I have control over this now mm. because I know what's happening. I don't have to think, you know, because when I was a kid, and having panic attacks all the time, I, I was the stereotypical kid. Of like, okay, I think I'm dying. I think mm-hmm. I'm having a heart attack right now. But you know, then then you, you now my, you know, I'm 20 now and I'm still young. But at least I know, like, okay, <laughs> my body is tricked into thinking that you know I'm fighting for my life or something, and I just need to take a few deep breaths. You know, um, so having the knowledge of what's happening allows you to kind of it's just it's kind of like meditation when they ask you to assess each part of your body like how's how's it feeling you know take a deep breath send the breath to that part of your body it just it's a new level of awareness that has been helpful and kind of diffusing any sort of like panic that's caused by like okay what's happening to me like am i dying you know um so it's it's just sometimes like you said there's you can't control it you have to just ride the wave um other times uh, you know, you can take a few deep breaths, relax, focus, um, 
you know, get back into whatever you're doing. It's definitely helped me help other people when they come to me in a state of panic, you know, being able to just understand what's happening to them and then being able to approach it in a way that's, you know, meaningful and successful and purposeful for the both of us. Um, and, and yeah, I think just, just knowing, knowing for some people causes more stress, but for me, it completely alleviates it. It's like, okay, I know what's happening. Um, and, and I know it's not my fault. This is just a natural thing. Mm -hmm. It's a human thing, you know? Um, and my dad and I talk about this all the time, human nature, our brains are wired to be stressed. You know, they're, they're wired to be, um, you know, panicked and, and constantly not living in the moment and stuff. So understanding that, um, kind of helps you, um, get yourself back to equilibrium, um, and, and realize like, okay, how do I bring myself back to earth? You know, right. um, it, it is helpful. Um, yeah, it's interesting when you guys were talking about, um, like, you know, learning how to hone in and use your, your stress, um, in a way it made me think of like every ninja movie I've ever seen, you know, cause they're right. always encountering stress. Right. But you never see them flinch cause they're so good at, 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 at honing in that stress and, and being so purposeful and defeating all their foes, you know, without batting an eyelash. Um, yeah, it, that's, that's immediately what it made me think of. Like, and you know, yeah. why not be a sales ninja? I guess <laughs> it's <laughs> like completely modern day ninjas. Super calm. Modern, that's right. Yeah. That's right. That's well, right. Cause that's, they're not suppressing it. They're channeling it. Right. 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 Yeah. And uh, the other thing, when you fight it, when you fight it, it just makes it worse. You know, mm -hmm. you have to accept it as a part of you and then decide what you're going to do with it. Yeah. You know, cause it's not like you see a ninja in a, in a, in a samurai movie or something sit and cry for hours about like, why are there bad people? I have to even fight, you know, what is the meaning of life? Uh, I'm so sad about this. They're just like, okay, this is, this is what I'm doing. And you know, they they just move forward it's yeah love this level of clarity the clarity is what gets them through and it's funny too when you mention these these movies it's you know it's it's almost always the the uh competitor who breaks down who loses right it's the one who doesn't have that that fortitude or can't last outlast it and oftentimes those are the, those are the ones who are faking it and chris i know you talk a lot about this you know um, proving and hiding compared to folks who really have a functional awareness of who they are and how they want to show up. Yeah. Everybody, everybody that is attempting to, you know, move their life forward in any way. So I think of the, the students that are coming to you, Sophia, it's so cool, by the way, to hear how you're using their knowledge to help them. That's awesome because I think we've got such a crisis of uh panic and anxiety and you're seeing that and we see that in our world with our kids and that's just really moving to me but the whole thing of living your life like your your friends uh sophia and the sales leaders professionals that are listening to this everyone's trying to move something forward and if you're trying to move something forward you're gonna hit your edge and when you hit your edge you know, that's where things fall apart or you step into that uncertainty and you expand and you grow and you get into what's next. But it's that limbo moment 
that, and I love the reference that you're making to the the movie scenes where it is the one that isn't, you know, leaning in, relaxing into that uncertainty, but pacing back and forth and staying really uptight because this scenario is so stressful to them. Rather than making peace with that, they're trying to control it. And so then they're in over aggressive, they're proving or they're hiding and they're diminished and they give up and they go away. We see that happen, of course, in sales and leaders. They're trying to control too much or they're giving up too much. And there's that sweet spot, that razor's edge, that limbo moment where we step into that uncertainty. And, and that's, you know, that's a learnable skill. That's what's amazing to me. I mean, when I started out as a public speaker, the adrenaline flush that was happening, you know, that was the, the Ninja Warrior moment for me. Not to be too gross, but like the sweat factor was insane. <laughs> insane. And my, my cheeks would turn red. I'd be too intense. And I didn't know how to, you know, it was a battle and I'm fighting and I just fought, you know. And then over time... I would, I would learn to feel that, harness it, focus it, then deploy it. But without it, we're, we're missing what we need to get out to that next edge. Um, mm -hmm. And I love how you referenced evolution, Sophia, because that's such a great you know, analogy or metaphor. We've evolved to be at the top mm -hmm. of the food chain because we know how to anticipate danger. But now our brains are just over anticipating. Right, right. I love it. Well, it's interesting, too, because as human beings, we're like the only animals that place value or, or devalue a natural bodily function. So, you know, this, this reaction is happening in, you know, any organism that has to deal with stress, like a lion or like, you know, a, a gazelle in the wild, you know, they have a stress response that helps them get away from predators, but, but they don't sit there and judge themselves for hours for, for getting that anxious response. Right. So it's like, um, it's that I think is a lot of where the issue comes in is, is deciding that you are now going to be defined by this and that it makes you weak, you know, that's usually the difference between the, the ninja that prevails and the one that's fighting them. They are defined by their success, their failures, their, their weaknesses, their strengths, you know, their perceived weaknesses. Whereas the, the ninja is just in flow, you know, not defined by their stress response you know, they just have one objective and, and they go with it or, um, and it's not like they're, you know, inhuman. There's always a moment in those movies where they have to face it and they're like, Oh, I'm struggling, you know? And then their sensei comes to them and is like, this is natural. Like you're amazing, you know? And, <laughs> and they just have to decide that they're not going to be defined by that. Um, so yeah. And that's, you know, and you can easily relate that to sales being defined by, you know, what you make, the sale you make, you know, closing a deal, or, you know, you can just go along the journey. I mean, dad, you talk about that all the time. That's, it's the exact same thing. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of what you're, what you were talking about. It's kind of what, made, what it made me think of. So. Sure. I, I, I can't imagine being able to articulate that like you just did at, at 20 much less appreciate it 
and know it like the way that is amazing. I mean, like, I feel like <laughs> it was like 30 before I, I'm not defined by what I do. And it changed my life. And in an elementary way, I'm still not over it, screaming it to the world. And I feel like people sometimes are like, yeah, let's like kindergarten stuff. Come on. Beautiful expressing that. And, and that's what hurts us so much is because we do, we, we shame and judge ourselves. One of my favorite songs by one of my favorite bands, Manchester Orchestra, it's called Shake It Out. And it's about him having a panic attack. And his verbiage is amazing because if, you know, in the animal kingdom, you hit the deer and if it's still alive, it gets up and it shakes because it's shaking that trauma out because it, it, its body is so smart. It knows I can't store that in me or it hurts me. I got to shake it out. So I think it's fascinating that so many hunter-gatherer religions would dance ecstatically around the fire because they're literally, this is what's trippy to me. They want the God's blessings on the next day's hunt. So they dance around the fire. What they're doing is clearing their body of all of this stress and trauma so they can be at their best for the hunt. And, and scientifically, we know that. But we haven't replaced it with anything. So now you have tons of people who are just so locked up. Yeah, that literally gave me chills when you said that about how we're not defined by that. Because so <laughs> people listening to this that think they're defined by the win or the loss, that's where they store that trauma, you know. So basically, are we telling them they need to dance around the fire tonight at their house and shake it out? No, they'll freak their Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's interesting. So, why are we talking about this today on this show? You know, the the idea here. I think Sophia made a great point. The idea here is, as leaders, we cannot take our team to places that we have not been as a leader or that we're unwilling to go. So, the message for the leader who's listening is: Look, if you want a functional team work on yourself first. You know, your team sees um, all the things in your behavior that you maybe are, are ignoring or not paying attention to or recognize, but um, just not working on. Focus on yourself, do the hard work. And then like Sophia, you can, you can walk your team members through the same path that you went through. And you can begin that process of moving the team from beginner to pro, to master level, and really start um, delivering the change and the opportunity and the performance that you seek for the team that you are operating in today and the teams that you're going to be working on, working with in the future. Uh, Sophia, we are at the end of the show, but typically at the end of the show, but I'd love to just hear more as we close out uh, insight into the research you're doing. And just give us a sense, you know, what you're doing, what you're working on, what the hypothesis is, and what you're learning. Um, so I guess the hypothesis is that, that, well, you always have a hypothesis and then a null hypothesis, which is basically saying that whatever you think is going to happen won't happen. So the null hypothesis would be that stress doesn't at all affect the production of glial cells, um, neurons, all this sort of stuff. But the hypothesis 
Um, and I'm going to talk more about like my professor's research separate to this, which kind of led into this because my, my research is like baby research, brand new, you know? Um, so his hypothesis is that, you know, uh, stress and DNA methylation, which is what I talked about putting those chemical, those methyl groups on DNA that affect, you know, what genes are expressed, um, will affect the production of TET1 protein and then, you know, in affecting that will then uh, affect the production of um, GnRH neurons, which help um, uh, develop uh, gonads and um, sex hormones because his whole thing is fertility. Um, and we're finding that, you know, infertility rates have spiked uh, as time has gone on. And it's because we're all, I personally think it's because we're all stressed. Um, and you know, that affects, uh, you know, production of GnRH neurons, which then, you know, affects our ability to produce. Um, and so that's, so he, he, his goal isn't to find a cure or anything. His goal is merely to just educate, um, and learn about the body. And so that's, that's essentially the hypothesis that, that, um, that stress decreases TET1, decreases GnRH um, function, and then um, basically affects development because sex hormones not only produce gonads and secondary sex traits, um, but they also trigger puberty, which then triggers brain development. So, um, you know, that, that, that has massive implications because as a 12-year-old starting puberty, if you're not producing GnRH and you're not developing properly, you know, your brain is not going to develop the same as someone with normal functioning GnRH neurons. Um, and that's a big reason why kids who grow up in stressful situations, constantly, you know, exposed to traumatic stuff, their brains are going to develop differently than someone else's. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a huge thing. And it's funny because as I'm learning about fertility and epigenetics, it's kind of like, okay, we really need to assess who's having kids <laughs> and if it's even a good idea, you know? Um, and that's a whole other controversial topic, which um, is difficult to talk about because everybody wants to attach politics to it and stuff. But it's, it's, it's just an interesting, it's an interesting thing. Mm -hmm. It's something to be aware of, you know, when you're raising kids, but then also as you're growing and developing as a person, just mm -hmm. thinking about the implications it can have on your brain and your development and how you process stress, how you handle stressful situations in the future, just what it's doing to your, to your genes. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting. Chris, what's going, on, what's going on inside your brain between those ears, man, when you hear this? I mean, so many implications socially, you know. Yeah, well, the research uh, has shown, and this has been studied, like people in Africa experience less stress than we do in America, and yet they have way more exposure to evolutionary threats, warlords, you know, I mean, all these crazy scenarios that you can easily imagine. So stress has advanced us. We have this longer lifespan. We have homes and lives degrees removed from harm and danger. And, and all of that advancement, it, as I've read the research, has caught up with us the last few decades. And no better way of applying this than to sales. Here's what I mean. When I've been in 
moments where the food I was hunting for and I was struggling for my family financially, one of my close friends, very wise, he would say this to me. He goes, Chris, you're just more connected to reality than most people. Nicholas Tlaib has this saying, the three great addictions of our world, carbohydrates, sugar, and a monthly salary. So what happens is that regular paycheck insulates you from the cause and effect of your actions, right? And so, so we know in sales, when you hunt for your food, you're very connected to that. And, and that can grow you and develop you. It can also cause adrenal fatigue. And, and so for me, while we're seeing this epidemic of stress and the effects of it, infertility, the top five causes of death, what percentage of those are connected to stress? We know it. You know, your body is burying all these stress symptoms when you're 20, and then they're coming out when you're 60 and 70. Um, I think it's in Finland, they did a study that if you did the sauna five times a week, you reduce the top five causes of mortality by 50%, something crazy. So the, the key is not trying to remove the stress it's embracing the next step with a healthier mindset. So we need mindfulness to remove us from the stress, learn about it, what's happening in our body, but then we got to re-engage and upgrade the mindset to grow. If there are circumstances where someone is non-functioning or barely functioning and shutting down, just like what Sophia was saying, no shame at all. You're not less than, you're not worse. The combination of your nature and nurture, your genetic you know, makeup, the inheritability of your stress, the environment that you grew up in, all of those things have put you in this place. No shame. Get better. Not through pressure, through knowledge, through therapy, through care. But don't make functioning the finish line. Celebrate it. You're awesome. You advanced. You're functioning great. Make thriving the finish line. That's what our brains are wired for. Thank you, Chris. And Sophia, thank you for joining us today. You've added a lot of value to an otherwise pretty boring podcast. Um, for sure. <laughs> Real great stuff. Thank you for having me. I was interested to see how this would align with sales, but I, I think this is pretty cool. And I think we've all learned some stuff today, which yeah. is always fun. I love learning. Thank you. So thank you to Sophia Rory's, my daughter. I'm very proud to have you on today. And uh, we look forward to the next episode where we learn more about the research and the conclusions that you and Dr. Chung have come up with. Thanks again. And thanks, Chris. Thanks for listening. If you've learned something or were inspired to try something new, please rate the podcast and share this episode with someone you know. If you'd like to learn more, visit and connect with me, James, at floristgroup.com, F-L-O-R-I-S-S group.com. And if you want to connect with me, Chris, check out SightShift, S-I-G-H-T, shift.com. Peace. Peace.